Hello, and welcome to Hitting Play, the podcast where we review, analyze, and discuss shows, movies, and other curiosities. I am Scott, and joining me is Sarah, and from the movie riffing group One Wall Cinema, K1, a.k.a. Kevin. Guys, welcome. Hi. Hi. And last but not least, joining us is a very special guest. He is a super talented musician whose performances can be heard at every Boston Red Sox home game. Fenway Park organist Josh Cantor, welcome to the show. Oh, thank you. You're too kind. Thanks for having me. Oh, this is very exciting. So what what better way to look forward to the the return of warm weather than uh, baseball season? And, and what better way to talk about baseball than talk to someone that plays for the Red Sox? Oh, well, thanks. I appreciate it. Yeah, you know, now that they're playing the spring training games, I think it kind of has people in New England, you know, just sort of getting excited about the prospect of warmer weather and games at Fenway and all that kind of thing. I know it certainly puts a little hop in my step. <laughs> what do they do in spring training? They Do they have any? Uh, is it just all recorded music? Uh, yeah, they have a DJ down there. They don't have live organ music, as far as I'm aware. I've had preliminary discussions with them about possibly going and doing a few games at some point, and I'm interested, and they seem interested. At the same time, you know, I have a day job, and I play a lot of shows and um, festivals and that kind of thing, and, and so the scheduling is a little difficult. I think for me, in some ways, playing the, the club shows is kind of like my spring training. That's where I, you know, get my reps in, get my work in. And uh, get get back into playing shape, as they say. Nice. The off season is actually uh, pretty busy for you too. Then I mean, I try. You know, I try to keep busy. I try to play as much as I can. And during the season, there's you know that steady, uh, regular, predictable schedule. And during you know either road trips during the season or during the off season, then I have to kind of uh, you know hustle for the gigs a little bit. Yeah. Can you talk a little bit about who you play with aside from your, uh, you know, Red Sox duties? Um, yeah, I can do that. Um, I just got off the road at about five o'clock this morning um, after doing a run of shows with um, a band that I play with called the Split Squad, which is a it's just a really fun rock band. It's some people who are in a lot of other bands and are geographically spread out around the country, so the timing is tricky. But we usually try to carve out you know, three or four times a year, like a week here and there to get together and do a run of shows. And that band is a lot of fun for me because um, I'm kind of like the rookie. I'm the young guy in the group. Um, It's a lot of veteran players who, you know, have played huge places and played with hit songs with well-known bands and all that kind of thing. So Mm -hmm. um, it's always a great learning experience for me to to get to work with them and just kind of absorb their style and, 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 and watch and observe sort of how they you know, how they conduct themselves on a tour and during a show and all that kind of thing. So whereabouts did you guys play recently? Uh, we did the Mid-Atlantic. We played in D.C. and um, Central Pennsylvania and the Delaware Coast. And we played in New York City last night. And that was a lot of fun. You know, so it was very energizing, but then also a little tiring because I, you know, drove all night from New York back to Boston to go back to my office job this morning. Oh, wow. Uh, but such is the way, you know, when you're when you're afflicted with this disease of like being compelled to want to play music with people wherever they may be and wherever people ask you to come play, then that's uh, that's how it goes. <laughs> is that uh, further than usual for you to go or? I mean, it depends. You know, there um, I'm playing a bunch of shows down in Texas next week, so that's a little farther afield. But, you know, for that, I will fly down and every once in a while I get offered good opportunities to play that are far enough away to warrant flying. I got to go, got to play in um, Mexico and Norway last year. And I think, uh, this is terrible. I feel like there's some other 
foreign country that I traveled to to play that I, that I'm blanking on right now, but maybe I'm <laughs> not remembering it right. Anyway, um, and then you know around the U.S., but if it's you know if it's in the Northeast or near the Northeast, then it's usually a little easier to get to or a little more uh, less logistically complicated. But if somebody far away invites me to play and I can make it work, then I'll do what I can to make it work. That's great. Now, do you do you strictly play keyboards or do you play other instruments? Um, I mostly play uh, keyboard, you know, piano, organ, accordion. I've been playing a lot of accordion in recent years, which has been really nice. fun. Kind of picked it up later in life, and I enjoy doing that a lot. That's mostly what I'll be doing down in Texas. Um, and I'm a decent uh, upright bass player, so I do a bit of that from time to time. There's a, a singer in Boston uh, named Lisa Bastoni, who's really wonderful, and she and I record and perform together a lot. And a lot of times, I'll I'll pick up the upright bass when I when I back her up. So that's kind of a fun one too. Although it's big and heavy, and it's not easy to like you know take on the subway to get to the club. So. <laughs> right, <laughs> that's cool. Thanks. Now, are you are you from the Boston area originally? Not originally. I've been here since 1990, which is when I came here to start college. So I've been here a long time now. This is definitely home at this point. My wife and her family are all from around this area, um, so they, in some ways, kind of indoctrinated me into you know the ways of Boston and Massachusetts and New England and that kind of thing. I went to high school in the Chicago area, and I went to grade school in Athens, Georgia, which is where the University of Georgia is located, mm-hmm. um, and there was sort of a, a burgeoning music scene down there when I was a kid that I had the, you know, the good fortune of being able to have access to, so... Sure. And you played with Peter Buck before, right? Yeah, I've played a lot with Peter um, and with Mike Mills, uh, both of REM fame. So when I was in middle school, they were, you know, just starting out as a college rock band in Athens. And they were kind of on people's radar, you know, locally in the town and then later in the region. And then at some point along the way, they, you know, they blew up and became huge rock stars and were selling out stadiums. And then you know, fast forward many, many years later, we met through mutual friends and they invited me to play some shows with them. And I feel very fortunate to get to do that. It's it's great fun to play with them. They're wonderful people and wonderful musicians. And, you know, I grew up listening to them. So it's kind of cool yeah. um, all these years later to to get to jump on stage with them. So how did the whole Fenway gig come about? Um, it came about, there definitely was some some you know fortuitous timing involved but they had auditions during the off season prior to the start of the 2003 season i knew someone at the time who was working for the team someone i had worked with creatively before we had written songs together and had performed together and so he was aware of my you know my organ playing ability he knew i was a big baseball fan i had probably said to him at some point man i bet that must be the coolest job in the world to you know, play organ for a baseball team. He was working for the Red Sox at the time. Mm-hmm. Um, I used to tell that to people all the time because I remember even as a teenager thinking that must be the coolest thing. You know, never thinking that it would come to anything. But you know, when he mentioned to me that um, he could recommend me for an audition, I thought, well, that's wonderful. And I didn't really expect to get it, but I just thought it'd be a good experience. You know, a good story to go in and have that audition. Mm-hmm. Um, I went in for a couple of rounds of auditions at Fenway Park. And I remember for the first one being like pretty nervous and coming out of there feeling like, well, that went okay, but it didn't feel like it went great. And then I didn't hear from them for a while. So I sort of put it out of my mind. And then a few weeks later, they called me up all of a sudden and said, we'd like you to, you know, come back for a second round. And and how soon can you get here? And I knew just a little bit from previous audition experience that usually when people say, 
callback and how soon, you know, usually means you're you're in the running. You're maybe yeah. one of the top two or three, you know, finalists. So that kind of, I don't know, I guess that sort of gave me a lot of confidence. I remember going into that callback feeling, feeling more confident and more relaxed. And I remember feeling like the audition went really, really well. Um, and sure enough, at the end of it, they, they offered me the job and they said, are you available for all the games? And I said, absolutely. So it was a little bit of, you know, knowing baseball, knowing how to play the organ, but definitely, you know, being in the right place at the right time. And, and they weren't necessarily looking for the greatest organist, but just somebody who was sort of a good fit for that particular kind of playing. Cause it's unusual. It's not like a normal, you know, show or concert or performance or recording session. It's, it's secondary and you're responding to action on the field. And I had done a lot of um, like live accompaniment for improvisational theater, which mm-hmm. turned out to be a really good kind of training ground for that. Cause it's the same idea where there's players on a stage and you don't know what's going to happen next. And whatever happens, you have to respond with, you know, with a musical cue or a musical idea. So I was comfortable with that kind of spontaneity. And I don't know if the audition committee even knew exactly what they were looking for because I don't think any of them were musicians. I think they were just sort of hoping, you know, they'd hear something and they'd identify it and like it and be like, yes, that's what we want. But I don't know how many people they auditioned. I don't know if I really stood out or maybe I was just sort of mediocre and everyone else was also mediocre. Like, I, I don't know what their evaluation was. But but as time has gone on, you know, I've had the opportunity to do a ton of games. And so now I'm, you know, I feel like I know what I'm doing at this point. Yeah, yeah. Because it's been, what, how many seasons have you been playing there now? I've been there 14 years, wow. um, and that's 81 home games every year, plus, you know, playoffs if you're lucky, so. And did I read correctly that you have not missed a home game since 2015? Uh, I have not missed a home game since ever. Since ever? Wow. 2003. So let's all knock on wood, and <laughs> um, because you never know in life what might happen, but... Um, no Tommy John? Yeah, right, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> Wouldn't that be something? Um... I I mean, I love going there. So when they post the schedule, I just, you know, circle those dates on the calendar and I don't make other plans. And, you know, I've been lucky as far as health and family and all that kind of thing to, you know, have the support to be able to do it and just show up for work every day and, and make the most of it. That's awesome. That's great. Yeah. Now, with the uh, the interview process, I, I'm assuming, you know, how you were saying that your, uh, your improv you know, being able to play along with stuff like that came in handy. So I'm assuming like the interview, they kind of were just throwing out like scenarios, you know, kind of at random, like, okay, this happens. Um, What would you do? Yeah, I think there was some of that, you know, it was so long ago now that I don't recall a lot of details, but I do remember that they kind of put me through the paces as far as quizzing me on a lot of different genres of music. They would sort of name a genre and ask me to play a a popular song from that genre. Um, Then they also asked me, you know, to do like play as many little short segments as you can that that you can think of that are 10 seconds or less that you think might energize a crowd. Um, You know, those little kind of prompts and things, which actually we don't we don't really do those sorts of traditional ballpark organ kind of prompts for the most part at Fenway but um but they tested me on that and then yeah I do remember them asking uh, sort of like what we what the DJ and I refer to as these we call them situationals you know like okay you know go ahead run on third seventh inning two outs you know sacrifice fly um what would you play for that what would you play for uh you know the coach going out to talk to the to the visiting pitcher who's struggling? What would you play to, if the coach is going to talk to the, the home pitcher who's struggling? You know, what would you play for? Just all, all the different kinds of situations. There's a million of them of things that can happen in a ball game. And what is a song that might fit that 
that would either energize people or entertain them in some way, or maybe it's a little clever if you're lucky. Yeah, we ran through a lot of those, and I don't remember any of the specifics at this point because it was so long ago, but but that was sort of the, I think that was the bulk of the of the overall audition process. Yeah. So, like, in a game situationally, so are there certain situations where you have songs saved in case something happens, like, or, like, songs that maybe will poke fun, like, slightly at uh, the opposing team or anything like that? Yeah, that is part of it. I mean, I wish I was better at keeping running lists of these things and remembering which ones work better than others. Although from night to night, you never know. Sometimes one work goes over great and then you try it again a few days later and it doesn't hit as big for whatever reason. It's something to do with the crowd or the situation is just different enough or your timing on it is not quite as precise or something. But, you know, I work very closely with the DJ on all the music. We talk to each other via headset throughout, you know, all during, uh, you know, pregame and, and during the game and then after the game, you know, when we're playing music as people are filing out and we work just kind of in tandem with each other and we're always giving each other cues and suggestions and feedback and and one of the goals is to you know to have those moments of of clever song selection thrown in there that make reference to something that's happened on the field some go over better than others some are very obvious some are a little more subtle you know we've both been doing it for so long now that we maybe have some go-tos in certain situations but it's always fun to kind of be spontaneous and think of one you know right in the moment either I'll think of one for myself or I'll think of one for him or he'll think of one for me or whatever. Um, and as far as the poking fun, you know, I would say we we wouldn't poke fun at Red Sox players. We may jab lightly at the visiting players, but we don't want to mm-hmm. be too cruel about it. He, uh, TJ Connolly is the, the name of the DJ. He's a good friend of mine. And he's coined this term to describe where the line is in terms of how cruel you can be versus how whimsical you can be and he calls it crimsical which is a combination of cruel and whimsical um and sometimes that line is fluid it may move a little bit from night to night depending on sort of the intensity of the game or what the stakes are or you know whether the whether the umpire is in a bad mood and, and and doesn't have the patience for you know that kind of whimsy but um so that is um that is certainly something that we do and now with social media to be able to receive requests and suggestions from fans in the stands to say hey you should really play this song for this guy or for this situation and it's great it's wonderful like because people are always coming up with ideas that i would have otherwise never come up with or in many cases are better than you know whatever idea maybe i'm thinking i should try so that's been a really fun spontaneous and almost kind of dangerous element to it also that's sort of like the tightrope walker where someone throws a song at you and it's you got to play it and you got to try to not mess it up, you know. Now, with with those requests uh, that you're taking over Twitter, are you taking those like kind of live during the game or just kind of uh, you get the request and kind of, oh, OK, and stockpile it for later? I try to take them live during the game. I find that is um, there's an immediacy with that that is really fun, I think, for people who are making the requests and is really kind of fun and challenging for me. If somebody sends me a, a song that I don't know or don't know very well and I have to learn it very quickly and then try to put it out there. I mean, it's something I started doing about four years ago just kind of as an experiment and it's worked pretty well. Like people, it's not widely advertised, but people who know about it do it. And when I first started, I would get maybe one or two each game and now I usually get several each game and I try to fit them in, fit them all in as best I can. You know, if I think they'll work, if I, if I think they may not work, then, you know, then I'll politely decline or or ask them you know maybe for a do-over or something sometimes the requests will come in advance because 
someone might say, oh, I'm coming on Saturday with my girlfriend and it's her birthday and this is her favorite song. And could you please, you know, and then so then I have an opportunity to like advance prep it and really and maybe play it a little better than if I am just kind of learning it on the fly. So what it's uh, like one of the oddest uh, requests that you've gotten that that you actually played during a game? <laughs> the oddest? Um, I don't know. I, I, I get a lot of odd ones. I think partly because I, not in a widespread way, but in a sort of limited niche kind of way, I have cultivated a reputation for being the organist who will play <laughs> oddball requests. <laughs> um, so then people kind of either, you know, they want to use that either to challenge me or to just sort of get a good laugh, you know, or to tease me. And so I wish I, I wish I could something could come to mind at this point. But I certainly get a lot of requests for things that are off the beaten path, just fun for me also because then you know I, I just I love the idea of having a wide variety of songs and styles and genres and eras because you know Fenway is very much an all ages kind of crowd you have young folks and old folks and everyone in between and people with all different kinds of musical tastes and to be able to try to offer something for everyone instead of sort of just relying on you know a handful of tunes that you play over and over and over again you know for me and for the people who for the fans who are paying good money to come regularly to the games it's I think the variety is appreciated I mean every once in a while I'll get something that's so completely off the wall or or maybe inappropriate or something where I'm like yeah no I'm not going to play that one um you know if somebody requests like a a Gigi Allen song you know or or one of the filthier you know Snoop Dogg tunes or something um I might politely decline on those but I've definitely played some I don't know like when Ornette Coleman passed away a year or two ago you know I played an Ornette Coleman song and that's certainly pretty quirky and unusual thing to hear emanating from a organ at a baseball game but it was fun and it was just sort of a one-time thing and sort of tribute to a you know to a great musician with a with an interesting legacy so where you were just talking about um legacies and stuff when last april when prince passed away i know a, a bunch of like other ballparks decided to do all prince for that day yeah did you have any say in that or did you get to choose songs that you wanted um, over others or anything? Yeah, that was a peculiar one because we got the word that he passed away like literally only a few minutes before the game started. Yeah, um, I remember I was working and that day. Yeah, it was an afternoon. It was a rare like Thursday afternoon game. You know, usually during the week, it's the games are in the evenings. But the news came across. The DJ got the news before I did and he shared it with me on the headset. And we were both a little stunned, I think, just because we were both huge Prince fans. And then it sort of became the question of, like, should we pay tribute? If so, in what way? Is it too soon? Should we wait until tomorrow? Should we wait a few days? Because probably a lot of people at the park maybe hadn't even heard the news yet. And, you know, we were a little unsure, but it was sort of left in our hands to make that decision, which, you know, I think we both appreciate very much. Like, we've been there for a long time, and so the, you know, by and large, the higher-ups trust us to make those kind of calls so it's it's nice to to have that kind of leeway because i you know from what i hear it's different at different ballparks and in some places the dj and the organist do have a ton of leeway and then in other places they don't there's maybe somebody else who's telling them what what to play and when to play it so in our case we appreciate having that freedom but we just decided you know let's let's try it like first inning you know middle of the first you play a prince song end of the first i'll play a prince song you know during the commercial breaks when they're switching sides and we each did that and it felt all right. We weren't sure how it was going to feel. It felt all right. 
and then you know the tweets kind of started blowing up a little bit because the fans were saying oh they just played a prince song or or some people were like why did they both play a prince what's going on and then the news is getting around that he that he had died and and then the you know some of the sports writers who are who are up in the in the press box started tweeting about it and that of course was getting a lot of attention and then and then all of a sudden, like I'm getting media inquiries during the game and pretty much had to shut my phone off at that point. But we <laughs> um, but the DJ and I just decided it was very organic. We we're like, well, let's just keep going. Just every inning break. Let's just trade off back and forth until this runs its course or we run out of print songs or it just doesn't feel Can right anymore or whatever. And well, yeah, no, that's true. <laughs> but, you know, it's tough to like I mean, for him, you know, he's got iTunes, you know, yeah. I've got like I got to learn them. Not that I not that I don't know, you know how to play a bunch of them but just you know trying to find the right ones and and also not wanting to kind of detract from you know our real job which is to like you know to energize the crowd so that they can help energize the players and to play the right songs in the right situations and that kind of thing um so it was a balancing act and but i'm i don't know it was not like i mean to sound immodest but i'm proud of how we handled it that we did it tastefully and organically and maintained it throughout the game that was not the original plan but usually most of what we end up doing is not the original plan like we usually make a rough outline before each game of some kind of touchstones that we think we want to hit or that we want to try and then as soon as the game starts we kind of throw that outline out the window because things happen in the game that you couldn't anticipate but it's a useful exercise nonetheless just to kind of get you in the frame of mind of thinking about song selections and being in, you know, being focused and engaged with the action on the field to, to kind of do that, that pregame ritual of talking about what you might like to do, even though you kind of know, realistically, that's not what's going to happen. But the Prince one was surreal, but it meant a lot. And I appreciated hearing from a lot of people who said, thank you for doing that, that, you know, that was nice. And it made us feel better, you know, in a time of sadness about losing this iconic musical genius figure who we all adored. Now, I, I've heard, too, that uh, you'll create specific playlists depending on uh, different teams that come to visit. Like, I've heard that you've played Motown for when Detroit comes into town. Yeah, do you, I do. Do you have I, other ones, too, like that? Yeah, or? sometimes during the year, um, I have certain playlists maybe for batting practice or maybe for in the game. And they are, you know, they're thematic based on which team is coming to town. So if a team that has a, you know, a great music legacy like Detroit obviously has Motown and a lot of other amazing stuff. You know, there are certain cities like Los Angeles, Minneapolis, New York that have these rich legacies. And then these other cities, maybe like San Diego that aren't as rich. So I won't, you know, focus on one like that. But yeah, a handful of games each year, I might do a, a geography theme like that. Or I know I've done a couple times, Cleveland has come to town and I've played all songs by artists that are inducted in the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame, which is located in Cleveland. You know, sometimes we do other themes, the DJ and I, based on, I don't know, something that's in the news or some whatever day of celebration it might be or who's at the game. You know, there's one game a year where there are 2,000 nuns who are sitting in the grandstand. And so the DJ and I will often have fun playing songs that are about nuns or sisters or sisterhood or something like that. And it's all in good fun. Or there was one year, it was like the anniversary of the moon landing, and we played all songs about space travel or something. So um, just, you know, like goofy little things like that, that I don't have a strong sense of how many people in the stands are picking up on the idea that we're doing this ongoing thing. But we hear from a lot of the people who do pick up on it, which is great, because especially, you know, when I first started out, you know, before before Twitter was really a thing or before I was using it, I was kind of playing in a vacuum and I didn't have a great sense of, you know, what did people like or not like about the songs I was playing? And and now I, I hear from people, they tell me what they like and they tell me what they don't like and they, they tell me what they want to hear. And that's, 
wonderful because I feel like it's my, you know, my job is to not to play what I want to hear, but to play what people in the stands want to hear. And it's awesome, yeah, following you on Twitter and seeing you retweet a lot of the people whose minds are blown by what they're hearing, you know, the people that pick up on that stuff. It's very funny. Oh, thanks. I appreciate it. I mean, I started doing that just because, like, I had some friends and relatives who were maybe weren't big baseball fans, and they were saying, I don't really understand what it is that you even do over there. You know, <laughs> so I started posting some of the tweets just to give people a sense of, you know, here's a, a variety of some of the songs I can play. And then people who, even if they aren't at the game, maybe they can at least get a glimpse and kind of see what you know what sort of nonsense i'm up to on any given night and i can make fun of people's musical tastes just as i make fun of my own musical tastes it's kind of a fun interaction to have with people to say like yes i'll gladly play that dumb song that you want to hear so can you take us through like your average day your average game day like how far in advance do you have to get at the park and work on what you're going to do like what your plan is how does that all work for you oh yeah i mean for a normal game i usually get there about two hours early uh, two hours before the first pitch, and the DJ and I will confer, talk for a few minutes, either about, you know, some ideas that we have for that evening, or we might kind of break down what happened at the previous night's game, if there's anything we still need to check in with about that, about things that we thought worked or didn't work. And then I'll grab a quick bite in the staff cafeteria, start preparing some notes. And then about 90 minutes before the first pitch is when they open the gates. Um, and I'll usually play for about 45 minutes during batting practice at that point. So the early birds who are coming can hear a medley of pop hits. Sometimes it's very loosely scripted. Usually I show up not knowing which songs I'm going to play. And even from one song to the next, usually about as I'm wrapping up one song, I start thinking about what would be the next song to go to that would be a nice transition here. Or, you know, I've got my, you know, my Twitter open. So if, if any early birds are sending in requests, I can, you know, fit those in at that time. But that's kind of when I play a nice long set to a mostly empty ballpark. Then we run some public service announcements on the video board. And then we go into the pregame ceremonies and I will play little flourishes and fanfares as they're introducing, you know, sort of the dignitaries and the lineups and all that kind of stuff. And maybe occasionally I'll throw in a tune or two, just depending on the timing. You know, we're, I'm wearing a headset talking not only to the DJ, but to sort of all of the video production crew, everyone who's running the scoreboards, the statistics, the replays, all that kind of stuff, and, and the, the camera operators for In the Park. And it's a, it's a very coordinated effort with a producer kind of giving everybody directions and instructions, and we're all following along, and I'm trying to have what I play match what's happening on the field. But then sometimes it might be one of these things where it's like, okay, we've got 200 people on the field. This giant choral group is singing the national anthem tonight, and I just know it's going to take them however long it's going to take them to get off the field. So I, you know, once they've, after they've finished singing, so I will, you know, prepare or think about something that I might like to play um, as they're exiting before we transition into whatever it might be the ceremonial first pitch or, hey, play ball or, you know, all this kind of stuff. And then once the game starts, again, I'm talking to all these folks, I'm learning requests if I need to, thinking about what I might or might not play in different situations, talking with the DJ along the way, just kind of trying to, you know, follow all the action and stay alert and be ready to go at a moment's notice and do that throughout the game. The only thing that's really firmly scripted as far as my playing during the game is um, I know very reliably that every night in the middle of the seventh inning for the seventh inning stretch, I'll play Take Me Out to the Ball Game and, and the public address announcer will invite people to stand up and sing along. And that's one that, you know, even though I've played it a gazillion times, um, it's still pretty fun and still pretty cool when a whole stadium full of people stands up and, and sings along. And then after the game, the DJ and I have, you know, songs that we'll play as people are filing out, depending on whether the game has ended in victory or defeat or spectacular victory or crushing defeat or whatever the, the circumstance might be. We'll, you know, think about songs that we can play for those situations. And then I, uh, 
pack up and go home and and usually come back the next day and do it again because usually they're they're in town for maybe six or seven games in a row on average and then they'll go on the road for for six or seven and then come back You were kind enough to invite me to come up to see where you play, uh, I think the season before last. Yeah, I remember and, that. And uh, I, I was shocked to see that you're kind of just kind of crammed in the corner with the glass to your left. I, I always picture like, you know, you see in like the movies or something, you see the organ player in front of this big glass window. So, I mean, how much do you use what you see to gauge what you play or, you know, how you're going to play it? Um, I mean, I use as much as I can. It's, it is a little weird at Fenway. It's different at every ballpark. Some ballparks, the, the view for the, from the organ perch is very wide open and spacious and they can see everything. And then in others, it's pretty restricted. In mine, it's, it's quite restricted and I'm just kind of tucked in a corner of like a noisy restaurant on the club level. So like there, there can be a lot of distractions just in that room. And then the view of the field is quite compromised. There's large sections of the field that I can't always see. I have a monitor. A video monitor that helps me see some of that stuff and I have an audio monitor as well so that I can hear everything that the DJ is playing and I can hear everything that the public address announcer is saying you know I try to catch as much of the action live on the field as I can but if there's a, an angle that I can't see then I have to either rely on the monitor or sometimes rely on you know the DJ from his perch has an excellent view so he might sometimes give me a heads up like I can't really see the uh the visitor's dugout so if he spots the the pitching coach for the visiting team coming out to the mound he'll just sort of shout that at me so that i can be ready to play something during that break in the action for example mm -hmm. um so you use the tools that you have one of which is a view but a compromised view do you get a lot of people from the uh, state street pavilion kind of crowding around you while you're playing or does that happen a lot uh, not a lot um but every i mean on any given night there's you know there's a few who will come over at different times you know to say hello a lot of times they don't know that I'm over there because I am really kind of hidden in a corner sort of behind an I-beam. And so they might be a little surprised, like, oh, I didn't realize you were here or I didn't even realize there was a live organist. I assumed <laughs> it was pre-recorded. I hear that a lot um, and try to um, disavow people of that notion and, and really kind of try to promote the idea of like, yes, no, this is a special thing. It's it's live organ music here the way that it is at several other ballparks. And because I'm a, you know, I'm invested in that tradition and I think it's a great tradition. But uh, yeah, and then, you know, on occasion, I mean, I try to greet people who uh, may want to, even if they aren't sitting in the club, if they want to, you know, come say hello after the game, if they, you know, if they have a particular interest in, in the organ or organ music or that kind of thing. And I think that's what happened in your case. We had just been on, in touch on Twitter and, mm -hmm. um, and so it seemed like a good opportunity to meet and say hello. So I'll do that some nights after the game if I'm not <laughs> exhausted. You know, if I've been there eight, nine, ten nights in a row, I might be a little too tired to kind of, you know, have a conversation. But um, uh, or other times I'm rushing off to a gig, you know, like I'm playing at a, I have an 11 o'clock show at a club and the game gets out at 1030 and I got to race out of there. But certainly one of the best parts of the job for me is meeting fans who enjoy and appreciate the organ music, you know, particularly a lot of the old timers who recall John Kiley, who was the organist from the early fifties through the mid eighties. He was the first organist and he was for Fenway and he was there forever. And, you know, he's a great 
legacy in this town, particularly because he also did the the Bruins games and the Celtics games for decades. Mm-hmm. Um, and that was in an era before there was a DJ. So he really was doing all the music for all the you know sporting events in town. He was a real you know local celebrity. Everyone kind of knew who he was, and he was a brilliant player and. So older folks have a lot of uh, fond memories of that. And, you know, that's sort of the nature of baseball in a way when you get to a certain point in your life also is to reminisce and have this nostalgia for times in your life when you were younger, when you used to come to the game with your family or your friends, that kind of thing. So I always love hearing people's reminiscences about about Kylie. Now, just speaking about, you know, like you're talking about the history and the tradition. Can you talk a little bit about Nancy Faust and her influence? I've seen a, a lot Can of Can I talk about, about Nancy Faust? Oh, boy. <laughs> Um, what a great question. Nancy Faust is my hero. She's my mentor. She is a musical genius. She was the Chicago White Sox organist from 1970 through 2010. She retired at the end of the 2010 season. Um, I used to go to a lot of White Sox games when I was in high school in the late 80s. And that was when I first heard her and just kind of immediately fell in love with playing and you know, I mentioned how I was, even as a youngster, I was telling people like, that must be the coolest job in the world. I I would love to do that someday. And it was all because of her and getting to hear her play. Um, She was way ahead of her time in a lot of respects and kind of very revolutionary with it. She started in 1970. I think she was like 23 years old. So she was young and she was hip and she kind of knew all the current pop tunes and, you know, rock tunes and soul and R&B and all that kind of stuff. And she started playing those songs at the ball games. And this was a time when organ music was sort of going out of favor. It was seen as being a little square. All the other ballparks were playing, you know, old show tunes and old Tin Pan Alley and had not kind of caught up to the rock and roll era yet, even though at that point it was already 1970. And she started doing that. And I think there was a little bit of brushback from some people, but then all of a sudden there were all these other people who were like, this is great. This is so cool. And, you know, she was the first one to kind of do what we now popularly and commonly accept as what they call the walk-up music. You know, when a player comes up to bat and is announced and they have a little theme song that goes with it, you know, she started doing that for players and she would do little clever song choices that was maybe a play on words of their name or some characteristic. And again, those situational things, those sort of humorous, clever song selections, she um, was very adept at it and was way ahead of her time with it. And so she really kind of brought live ballpark organ music back into favor um, and kind of changed the way that a lot of places did it. She was the first one to play Na Na Hey Hey Kiss Him Goodbye, which has become a staple of sporting events around the world in all sports. In fact, she popularized it so much that the the record label of the original hit recording re-released the single, I think like seven years after it first came out, which was around the time that she started playing it. Hmm. And the record went gold upon re-release. It was sort of a small hit initially. And then she started playing it seven years later. The company re-released the original single. It was a big hit. And they sent her a gold record to thank her for repopularizing the song. And it it hangs in her living room. But she, so I had met her a couple times when I was in high school and I was going to those games because her area was accessible. You could just kind of stand there in the concourse and watch her play. Um, And I was really mesmerized by it. And, you know, I used to kind of pester her a little bit. But, you know, however many years later, when when I got the job with the Red Sox, I called her up. I said, I don't know if you remember me. I used to be this annoying teenager who would come hang out. And I could really use your advice right now because um, I'm very nervous and I would like to be prepared on day one and I would like to do a great job, you know, if at all possible. And, you know, I told her that my family was still living in Chicago and she said, well, next time you come visit your family, give me a call, stop by. And so I, you know, booked a flight like that day (laughs) and, uh, 
and and went to visit her at her home and we spent an afternoon together you know playing duets on the organ in her living room she shared with me tons and tons of tips and tricks and you know insights things that she had learned along the way about what was going to work and what was going to not work and it was um it was incredible for me it was just like uh i don't even know how to describe you know how special an experience like that is you know and then over the years we we you know got to know each other better and became friends and she continued to mentor me even after she retired and you know, and then as as I sort of became a veteran over the years, I began to understand and appreciate that she she was glad to have a young organist come along and say, "Teach me everything that you have learned from your life's work." Yeah. Um, and now I've had the opportunity to carry that forward. Yeah, I just I I can't, I can't say enough great things about Nancy. I can't heap enough praise on her, but I would love for everyone to know about you know what she means to to the history of baseball. Yeah, definitely. I mean, I, I certainly became aware of her because of you and, uh, you know, things that you've uh, tweeted out about her. And can, can you talk about uh, a purchase that you made not too long ago? Oh, yeah, sure. Um, Nancy put her organ up for auction through a charity auction that was sponsored by the White Sox a little over a year ago. And I assumed that the bidding was going to be prohibitively expensive for me. So I was but I was, I thought it was fascinating. So I was trying to spread the word about it. I was, you know, tweeting about it and telling friends about it and, you know, telling some of the, some of the rock stars who I've had the good fortune to play with about it, hoping that maybe they might bid on it, in which case then at least I could still like go to visit it from time to time. (laughs) Um, And for whatever reason, there just wasn't a ton of bidding interest. So, you know, I was, uh, it went up for auction and I was kind of following the bids and it was, vaguely within a price range that I could afford and so I talked to my wife about it and I asked her to I said I'm really tempted to bid and I would love for you to talk me out of it because I'm afraid that I'll (laughs) if I don't get it I'll be disappointed if I do get it I'll have not so much buyer's remorse but just like I won't know what to do at that point and she said well I could talk you out of it but really I would rather talk you into it and here's why and she told me reasons about why you know that instrument was important to me and to both of us and uh, that was it. So I put in a bid, again, not expecting to win, and was shocked when I won. And then what followed from there was really this kind of, sounds silly to say, but it really was this sort of magical journey, which got dubbed uh, online as the Great American Organ Transplant, because it had to be transported <laughs> from Chicago to Boston. The White Sox basically had it at their stadium and said, yeah, you got to come pick it up by such and such a date and get it out of here. And I was like, I don't know how I'm going to get it how I'm going to pick it up or how I'm going to get it here. And three friends of mine who are Chicago indie rock musicians who I know through that, you know, sphere of playing just all stepped up and volunteered and said, I would love to do this. I would love to go to the stadium, pick it up, put it in a van, drive it to Boston for you and bring it to you. And I was like, well, that's wonderful. And they took full advantage. You know, they were, you know, making videos of their journeys and posting all kinds of great stories. Um, and the press took an interest and all of a sudden we're doing these, you know, these media interviews, radio and television and newspapers talking about it. Um, yeah, it was Gerald Dowd is fantastic. Uh, Chicago drummer who plays a lot of people. Kelly Hogan is one of my favorite people in the world. Um, who sings with, uh, Nico case and the Decemberists and lots of other amazing groups. And, uh, a fellow named Max Crawford, who is a very talented keyboard player and trumpet player and has worked with a lot of amazing bands uh, and actually coincidentally also works in the 
video production department for the Chicago Cubs. So he and I, through Major League Baseball connections, kind of know a lot of the same people in the world of baseball audio video production. So that was sort of an interesting side note. And then when they, you know, I was so determined to, I mean, basically I was guilt ridden that they were going so far out of their way to do me this enormous favor that I was like, I want them to enjoy this. I want to do anything I possibly can to make this fun for them. So I arranged for them to come for the weekend of the Hot Stove Cool Music concert, which is a charity concert that's put on annually in Boston and in Chicago with Peter Gammons and Theo Epstein sort of spearheading uh, with their charitable foundations kind of spearheading the event. It's just this really fun thing where all these baseball people and all these rock and roll people come together and put on this big show. And so I arranged for them to come and, and, uh, and be part of that performance. Cause that's the other thing I've learned is that if you can, you know, if you can promise a group of musicians, a, a gig at the other end of the long drive, that's, they're more likely to come for it. But, uh, and then I, I called in a favor at the baseball hall of fame in Cooperstown and said, cause I, I looked at the map and I'm like, they're going to be driving right through Cooperstown. I said, you know, can you give them passes to, to come and visit Cooperstown? And, and, uh, you know, one of the people who worked there was like, oh, this is cool. This is exciting. We'd be glad to sort of give them a behind the scenes VIP tour, you know, of the archives and all the old memorabilia that's not on display. And then the mayor of Cooperstown, who's a big baseball fan and a big music fan, all of a sudden he took an interest and he took them out to dinner and he issued an official mayoral proclamation welcoming them to town. And wow. um, the whole thing was just, uh, I mean, completely bonkers, but completely fun. And then um, because so many musicians had come into town for the concert, like they all came over to the house when the organ was brought here and uh, we had a local organ moving company, you know, kind of help fit it through the door. A friend of mine who's very handy had to saw the railing off of the front steps outside the house so that it would have room to, to turn the corner because it was gigantic and, and very, very heavy. But it just became this very crazy, fun, festive celebration where we got to you know, celebrate music and baseball. And I got to have an opportunity to honor Nancy and, and, and have a spotlight shine on her, which was great. And then a few weeks after that, um, that same group of musicians put together a benefit show in Chicago. And I flew out to play at that with them. And we invited Nancy Faust to come play at it, which was delightful and amazing. Everyone there in the, in, at the club was just so thrilled to meet her and to have her be part of it. And, and she was thrilled to do it because, you know, for all her talents and all her experience, she'd never really played with a group before. She'd always been a solo player. So we had her, you know, up there with a band, you know, kind of as a featured player playing some solos along with the band. And yeah, just lots, lots of wonderfulness surrounding that, that whole adventure. That is so great. And you said there's a, there's a video of, of the uh, adventure. There is. Yeah. There's, um, I'm trying to think the best way to find it. There's, there's, there was, if you, uh, if you were to do a search for Chicago reader, great american organ transplant that would probably bring up the article from the chicago reader that has links to all the videos and to the hashtag if you know if anybody wants to go back and look at the tweets and everything but yeah um a a friend of ours this guy matthew who's a filmmaker he just kind of stepped up and he said i would love to document this and so he was shooting footage of them during their travels you know throughout the day and then he would stay up all night you know editing into a little short documentary film and so there was a series of films for each day that they drove and um yeah it was super fun and then i did uh i actually ended up for some of the films scoring them like i had some i recorded some you know ballpark organ instrumentals of songs that some of those musicians are known for having played on and then the, that was used as like soundtrack for the films and uh just was a you know cool weird thing to do where a lot of people signed up to to help make it fun that's very cool yeah i'll definitely have to uh check those out 
Now, I, I got to talk about a very special moment, Josh. I, I am a fan of The Best Show with Tom Sharpling, formerly sure. The Best Show on WFMU. And uh, for those that don't know, uh, Game 6 of the 2013 World Series, and not only would the Sox shock the world by completing this you know, improbable pennant run, but Josh, you would shock fans of The Best Show and even Tom Sharpling himself by playing The Best Show theme during that game. Yeah, that was a fun thing to do and for a brief moment there was sort of getting a lot of attention at least from fans of the show that is um a radio show that uh i've been a long time fan of and i don't know it was just sort of lucky timing in a way tom who's the host of the show had had made an announcement i think it was the night before saying the show is going off the air after 13 years on the air or something like that and so for fans mm -hmm. of the show that was that was a big deal and everyone was talking about it and it's I don't know. I mean, it's not uncommon for me. You know, like we were talking earlier about these themes and things. So like the DJ or and I will often play a song that's in reference to, you know, something noteworthy that's in the current events. So like when when Beyonce drops a new single, I'll play the new Beyonce single. If, if you know, if Prince passes away, I'll play a bunch of Prince songs. If a show goes off the air, I might play the theme song to that show. Just these kind of little tributes. And so that was one where... I played the tribute. It just so happened to be the day of the of the World Series championship game. If it had been in June, then, you know, maybe a few people would have noticed and it would have continued on um, without any additional attention. Or if, or if it had happened during the winter, then I wouldn't have played it at all. But, uh, but I played it and someone happened to be recording it at the game, you know, just on an iPhone, I think, or something, and, and sent me the recording. And um, I sent it to Tom and the folks at the show and they were very appreciative. And that was very nice. And then... The show, after it went off the air, it was off for about a year, and then it came back, which made me and other fans of the show very happy. Right. Um, and I had uh, gotten to know Tom and other folks on the show at that point, and just kind of basically begged them to let me contribute some additional music for the show, and they, they acquiesced. And so I've had the fun experience of doing some scoring for some of the segments on the show uh, since it has come back on the air. And... Um, they did a live show with a tour, um, and they asked me to, to come to some of those shows to play some music. So I feel very fortunate. It was a strange little accidental kind of thing that I didn't think much of other than just, I'm going to pay tribute to this the way that I often pay tribute to various things. Yeah, I guess it earned me a little bit of a reputation, you know, among fans of that show. Because it's a, it's a bit of an underground show, a bit of a cult show. So the people who are fans of it are, they're very loyal to it. And um, so a lot of times they'll, when those, when some of those folks come to Fenway Park, they will hit me up on Twitter and ask me to, to play songs for them. Hello. Hello, Tom. Yes. Hi, this is Josh in Boston. I'm a long time listener and a first time caller. Josh, you are, I'm welcoming you to the show. Thank you. I appreciate it. Well, I want to thank you. Game six, right? Game six of the World Series. Game six of the World Series. Josh, the organist for the Red Sox, he finds out on a Tuesday the best show is ending on December 17th. So what does he do on the next night? Game six of the World Series. He plays, in tribute, the best show theme for everyone to hear at Fenway. I could not believe it. Oh, so well, what an awesome thing for you to do, Josh. I had tweeted earlier in the day, and I had mentioned, you know, 
this radio show is coming to an end, and it's a great show, and so I'm going to play their theme song tonight. It is unbelievable. I was I was truly blown away by it. It's really cool that you did that, and I really appreciate it, Josh. Uh, well, thank you so much. I I love the show, and I I love getting to do that. I could actually root for the Red Sox because of what you did. I actually might start rooting for. I have no allegiance to any of these teams around <laughs> here. I seriously do appreciate it. it. Was a sweet gesture, and uh, thank you so much for You're for thinking welcome, so highly man. of the show to do something that uh, that awesome. Yeah, that that was great. That was such a great moment. And like, I've been listening for a very long time, mm-hmm. and uh, I I rarely call in. Every time I, I call in to talk to Tom, like for some reason, like my throat closes up. It's just you know very. Uh, I don't know. It's very intimidating. Uh-huh. But uh, whenever I would hear people call from Boston, it would always end up being like the worst callers. Tom would always, you know, gomp them as he would call it. Or, you know, bad company is the the one of the most recent things that he does to hang up on people. Mm-hmm. And it's like, man, there's never any good callers from Boston. And of course, Tom's hatred of, of uh, some Boston sports, you know, he would always say, you're small time Boston. And so when you started calling in, it was so great to, you know, finally get someone from the area, you know, that, uh, you know, had an appreciation of the show and did so, so many great things, you know, it's, it's awesome to hear. Oh, thanks. I appreciate that. I, I've called in a few times during the call-in segment of the show just to chat, and um, and I'm very flattered. You know, he has told me in the past that uh, he said, yeah, you know, I've, I've, I've never, you know, I've never liked Boston all that much. He's like, I like a lot, like a lot of bands from there, but sometimes there's just something about Boston that rubs me the wrong way. And I do understand that perspective that people sometimes have. Mm-hmm. Um, but he said, you know, but you're like, you make me want to like Boston. And that, and that, <laughs> that is to me, that feels like high praise, especially coming from someone who I uh, revere so much. Yeah, for sure. Now, did you get to, uh, he, he came to uh, Fenway, right? Did you get to meet him? John, uh, and John Worcester? Um, I've met, uh, you know, the last time Tom was at Fenway was before, I had gotten to know him. I was a fan of his, but I don't think he knew who I was at that point. And so I only found out after the fact, because I think he was talking about it on his show about this trip he had taken to Fenway. So ever since then, I've, you know, I will periodically remind him, like, you should come back. I would love to, you know, have you come visit and I'll play a special song for you and that kind of thing. It hasn't happened yet. I'm hopeful that it will happen someday. And John, his comedy partner on the show, he and I know a lot of the same people through the music world because John is a very talented drummer who plays in a lot of bands and a lot of the people who he has played with are people who I've also played with. So there have been times where our paths have crossed when he's been on tour or I've been on tour. And yeah, he's come visited Fenway Park a couple of times when he's been in town with a band. And that's been delightful because I'm, I'm you know just as big a fan of, of John's as I am of Tom's. Now, in your involvement, you know, with the Red Sox, do you get to meet other uh, musicians that come in through town? Do you get ever get to play with them, or do they ever come up to uh, meet you, or does you know, do you ever get any get any of that kind of interaction? Yeah, on occasion. I mean, there's not really a a system or a formula to it, but a lot of bands do come to see games because it's a fun diversion when they're on tour, especially if they're playing maybe at House of Blues, which is right across the street from Fenway Park, or they're playing at Paradise, which is just down the street, or you know, the clubs that are nearby. It might be that. Maybe they come, they have shows in the evening and they can come to the game on Saturday afternoon or Sunday afternoon, or maybe they have a day off from the tour and they happen to be in Boston and they'll come to the game. Sometimes, I, I mean, I guess a lot of times I'm not even aware. Sometimes if it's a band that I'm a fan of and I see that they have a day off in Boston, I might, you know, contact them and say, hey, if you happen to come to Fenway, like, you know, come by the perch and say hello. And then sometimes that happens. Other times I'll get word through the grapevine that a certain band is there 
Um, maybe if, you know, if it's a well-known band, like Green Day was at a game and I was like, well, okay, I'll just, I'll play a Green Day song on the organ and maybe they'll get a kick out of it or maybe they'll hate it. Who knows? Or, or maybe <laughs> some of them will love it and some of them will hate it, but, but it'll be just a fun thing nonetheless. You know, and then sometimes those bands will come say hello or sometimes people in the stand or people will, uh, people who follow me on Twitter will give me a heads up because the band might post a photo and say, Hey, we're at the Red Sox game. And then someone will forward that to me and to give me the heads up that, that such and such a band is there. And then I might play one of their songs or I might just send them a quick tweet to say, come say hi, if you would like to, just cause you know, I enjoy meeting other musicians um, and people who sort of have an interest in, in baseball and organ music or, you know, sometimes with these song requests, like I might play something that's, it might get back around to the, to the original artist because maybe I'll play the song and then the person who requested it will send a tweet to the band saying, Hey, the Fenway organist just played your song. And then they might follow up, you know, they might send me a message saying, Hey, thanks for doing that. Or the next time they're in town, they might come say hello. So there's all these strange ways that, that I sometimes end up meeting these other musicians who come to the ball games. And it's usually pretty fun and entertaining because I think it's kind of a novel thing. Uh, for me, it's novel to, you know, to get to meet, you know, bands who are out there, you know, as working full-time performing uh, artists. And then maybe for them it's novel because it's like, hey, here's this musician who has this fairly unusual gig and we never thought we'd hear our song done as a, you know, as an instrumental ballpark organ cover, but but there it is. And, you know, sometimes they'll even ask, you know, like, oh, could you, like, could you make a recording of that and we could put it on our social media or something? And then if I have time, you know, sometimes I'll do those and, and then they get a kick out of it and then their fans get a kick out of it and people get to hear it. Yeah, so there's a lot of sort of weird things like that that happen from time to time. Do you ever get any feedback from the players at all? Very rarely. I know the DJ gets a fair amount of feedback from them because they, I think they're very attuned to what he's playing and they're often requesting songs of him, you know, songs that they want to hear that are going to be their walk-up songs. I get a lot less of that. Once in a rare while, I you know, might hear either directly or indirectly from a player, like, hey, I like that, or hey, I didn't like that, or, you know, next time do this. But it's it's very, very infrequent from my standpoint, uh, as opposed to the DJ, who I think feels, feels a lot more of those kinds of inquiries. I was reading some information earlier, and I saw that you helped fill in uh, for the Bruins in 2011. So I... I was wondering, do you happen to have a ring? Um, I have a World Series ring from 2013, which was the third time that uh, the Red Sox won the World Series, you know, in the recent year, ever since the curse was broken. So um, I started there in 2003. I didn't get a ring in 2004 or in 2007. I guess for whatever reason, I just didn't make the cut. You know, I wasn't uh, important enough on the hierarchy. And then the third time around, they, they took pity on me and decided to give me a <laughs> ring. I mean, possibly, I think in part because of the Twitter thing, because I know people were, I saw people were, you know, sending tweets to the Red Sox saying, you know, we appreciate what Josh does and maybe you should give him a ring this time or something like that. I don't know if that played into the decision or not, but I have a World Series ring from 2013, which is a, a nice, you know, a nice little keepsake. And uh, for the Bruins, I um I just subbed I think maybe five or six games that year 2011 when they when they won the Stanley Cup but I was very 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 part time you know I just whenever the regular organist couldn't make it for one reason or another I just I went in and, and did a few games and I mean I'm not I'm not a hockey expert uh, it took me a little bit of time to kind of learn the the nuances and the you know, get the timings precise and everything for when to play and when not to play. It was very fun and it was a great learning experience, but I'm not, 
I'm not really a hockey person, you know, on the occasions that I have subbed for him, Ron Poster is his name, great guy, great organ player. Um, on the occasions I've subbed for him, it's really just, I'm just keeping his seat warm. It's kind of like the, the substitute teacher. You just, <laughs> you just are trying to get through it without incident. Yeah, because my coworker was wondering when you were going to fill in again so they could hopefully get to a Oh, yeah, that's that's uh, <laughs> that's a good question. I have filled in, the bulk of my fill-ins were that year that they won, and then I've filled in a couple of times since then, but of course they haven't won the cup since then. So I don't know if, I, I mean, I guess we could say jokingly, maybe I was some kind of good luck charm, but I didn't really contribute in any sort of meaningful way. <laughs> well, it's part way of Boston tradition, yeah. you know? <laughs> yeah, at least get your name on there, you know? They got enough names on the cup. <laughs> Yeah, let's maybe yeah. maybe I'll just go over there and, and etch it in and with an exacto knife or something. <laughs> uh, now I saw you uh, uh, had supported a bunch of other bands over at uh, the Santos Music Fest. Um, just kind of curious, like what other what other bands uh, you had played? Oh yeah, there? so there there was a music festival in Baja in Mexico um, called Todos Santos, and they uh, it was organized by Peter Buck. And they did it for, I think, about five years. They didn't do it this year, and uh, I think they're planning to resume it next year, although I'm not entirely sure. But he put together this rock festival where he invited a lot of people he's worked with over the years to come perform and, and play these benefit shows to raise money for local charities in that area. And uh, it was a lot of fun because it was in late January, which was a great time to get out of Boston and go to a beach in Baja and play music every night with a lot of my favorite bands over the years. Oh man, I've played with so many, but I played with, let's see, the old 97s, Drive By Truckers, Chuck oh, nice. Prophet, Driving and Crying, Dream Syndicate, Autumn Defense. Uh, John Paul Jones has come down to a couple of those festivals, and I've played with him, and the Jayhawks, uh, many, many others who, unfortunately, I'm not remembering off the top of my head right now. But it was just basically like 10 nights of just playing every night and it was one of these situations where you know I'm a keyboard player and I wasn't necessarily exactly attached to most of those groups but if any of those groups were looking for you know for some keyboard backup they told me what songs they wanted me to play and I learned them and I got up there and played or maybe they didn't tell me what songs they just said yeah just get up there and play you know let's let's just wing it and see what happens and the you know going to that festival um the last few years has been uh just an incredible magical experience for me to you know all these groups that I had long admired from afar and now all of a sudden I'm hanging out with them and rehearsing with them and getting up on stage with them for the shows and uh it's been great fun and it's it's good training for the baseball thing too because there's a lot of spontaneity to it and a lot of just kind of having to listen intently and watch and be prepared to to follow along with whatever's happening so it's been wonderful, you know, and I've become friendly with, with some of those groups. And so on occasion, if they're playing in the Northeast, they might, you know, invite me to come to the club or theater where they're playing and, and get on stage and do a few songs with them. And, and that's always a lot of fun, too. As far as uh, like interactions with like uh, the players and things like that, do you have any fun stories uh, that you feel like uh, oh, sharing? I don't know. That's a good question. I guess you know most of my interactions are are very limited. It might just sort of be like a quick hi, how are you? 
Although I guess maybe there's been some that I've gotten some players that I've gotten to know a little bit more through the um, particularly through the the Peter Gammons and Theo Epstein charity concerts. You know, there's certain players who you know, have some musical inclination or some musical talent and they will often participate in the shows. They'll get up and maybe, you know, play guitar or sing or something like that. So I don't know. I've gotten to know, uh, I don't know if you remember Lenny DiNardo. He was a a Mm -hmm. left-handed specialist out of the bullpen on the 2004 championship team. And I think he was also with the team maybe for a couple of years after that. And we met at one of those shows and we just kind of hit it off chatting about because we were we liked a lot of the same bands and he's a pretty good guitar player and you know so he and i've stayed in touch and or like last year um bernie williams the you know famous yankee center fielder came and he's a great guitar player um he had written these songs these sort of like jazz songs and he brought charts with him and he gave us all charts and he's like here we go let's play this song and it was like kind of fun crazy adventure so that was like uh that was a really cool thing especially because i have um uh, one of the bands that I play with pretty regularly, which those those guys from REM who we were talking about earlier are involved with, it's called The Baseball Project, and it's all original songs about baseball. We have, I think, maybe about 70 songs at this point, and it's a bit of a novelty, but it's really fun. The songs are really good, and I I love playing with those guys, and I think my, you know, my baseball bona fides is a big reason for why they you know asked me to come play with them but one of the songs that we have is about bernie williams so you know when i met him and played the show with him it was nice to you know give him a copy of the album and say yeah we wrote this song about you and we think you're cool and and uh it's nice that's cool what do you do during rain delays oh what do i do during rain delays i play songs if it's a short rain delay then i'll just play for a little while if it's a long rain delay I'll play for a long while. Sometimes the DJ and I will trade off, you know, if we know like, yeah, it's going to be raining for the next hour. It's like, well, let's each do, I'll do 15 minutes, then you do 15, then I'll do 15, then you do 15. And sometimes people send in <laughs> requests because that's a time when they're just sitting there and they're bored. And so it's like, yeah, let's send a request because we know he's going to be playing a bunch of tunes and I'll check the Twitter and see what's happening with that. You know, there are certain songs that you play when it's raining because it's songs that are about rainfall or something like that. <laughs> um, and... uh yeah, I mean, I do, I remember there was one game, I think it was 2005, it was like a weekend in late August or something, and there was a five and a half hour rain delay, and they were determined to finish the game. You know, because sometimes they'll just, if it's raining hard and it's raining for a long time, they'll just call it and say, yeah, we'll we'll make it up later, or it's not going to rain that long, and they'll just wait for it to stop, or they'll continue the next day or something. But um, this was one where, for whatever reason, I think there was a scheduling issue where they were not going to be able to reschedule the game, and there were you know, some stakes in terms of the playoff standings. And so they really had to finish it. And so they were just determined to wait. Um, and I was scheduled to play, it was a Sunday afternoon and I was scheduled to play a show that evening. And I was like, Oh yeah, I'll be out of here plenty of time to get to the show. And then after a five and a half hour delay, I <laughs> ended up missing the show. I had to call over and say, yeah, I'm not going to make it. I'm still stuck at this game. It's still raining. Oh, <laughs> um, but I remember that one be- uh, especially because I played for the entire five and a half hours for whatever reason, I forget the DJ was unavailable or something. She, uh, this was before TJ was working. There it was this woman named Megan Kaiser, who was the DJ, but she also worked in the front office. And I think maybe she was tending to some front office work or something. Yeah. So I played for five and a half hours straight. How did your fingers not <laughs> fall off? Oh, I don't know. Um, I mean, I think it was more mentally taxing than physically, you know, cause you're not, I mean, your fingers are moving, but it's not, uh, it's not like like That's playing, wild. you know, playing an organ is not like a cardio workout, but it's <laughs> uh, but I do remember just kind of feeling a little mentally fried at the end of it. But also it was fun, you know, because it was, it, you know, it, it reaches a certain point where you're like, this is just ridiculous. Like, how long can this possibly 
can this possibly go like could this go forever could this go all night could i like (laughs) at some point i'm gonna have to go to the bathroom or something you know but yeah that was when you asked about the rain delay that was kind of the the strange one that that came to mind but usually the dj and i will just trade back and forth you know 15 minute sets try to keep people entertained (laughs) wow that's amazing and uh, one thing I did I did want to mention too is that uh, you were named the uh, 2016 Red Sox Employee of the Year. I was, and that was really um, a tremendous honor and very humbling because there's a lot of you know I mean I know most of the employees over there, and there's a lot of people who are excellent employees and work really hard and do a lot that goes unseen and unnoticed to make things run smoothly over there and to make sure that the fans have an amazing time over there, even if the team doesn't win the game, which of course it's never a guarantee that you're going to win. Yeah. So to be recognized for that was just, uh, you know, very humbling and, and, and a little overwhelming, quite honestly, to, you know, to have people in the organization acknowledge like, yes, we, you know, we see you doing this. We see how hard you work. We see all the hours that you put in off the clock when you're writing to fans and, and, and learning songs and developing these theme nights and, um, you know, and meeting with fans after the game and, and all that kind of thing. It was, um, it was special. I, I felt proud and, you know, and it was nice cause my, my friends and family were, were proud and, and, uh, um, and Nancy Faust was proud, you know, and that, so it was like, uh, yeah, it was a little emotional, you know? Yeah. And they brought you down to the field and everything. Yeah. yeah they had like thing. a ceremony to announce the winner. And I didn't know that I was going to win. They, Uh-oh. they had, they had like 20 finalists, um, and I was one of the 20 finalists and they brought all 20 down onto the field and then they announced a final winner and they didn't tell me that it was going to be me, but my wife and my brother were in the stands at the game, which was a, a surprise to me. They had, you know, arranged and, and had contacted them and said, don't tell Josh, keep it a surprise, but we would love for <laughs> you to come to the game because we're going to honor him with this, with this award. Um, so that was nice. You know, they, they announced my name and it was a big surprise to me. And then my wife and my brother came down on the field and gave me a big hug and, and uh, it was a it was a sweet special moment, you know. I will I will never forget that. That's awesome. Very well deserved too. Thank you. I appreciate that. April fourteenth, uh, I believe, is a home game against okay. Tampa. It also happens to be the uh, premiere of the Mystery Science Theater uh, oh, revival wow. on okay. Netflix. So if you could play uh, like the theme song from Mystery Science Theater or like at some point, that would be awesome. Uh, Yeah, I can do that. Um, You know, I'm a fan of that show. Our DJ is a fan of that show. So I'm sure that between the two of us, um, one of us could do it. But it might be fun to kind of work up an arrangement for it on the organ. I'm trying to remember if I've played it. I feel like I may have played it before at some point. Um, But yes, I would love to do that. But here's what I will ask of you is send me a reminder. Just like send me a tweet maybe a day before or something and say, hey, you promised me you'd do this, so you better do it. Because otherwise, I'll I'll forget. I can't keep track of like which requests <laughs> go on which days and that kind of thing. I mean, I could, but that's that's it's, it's too much work. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I can definitely. Uh, okay, send thanks. I appreciate that. Great at like the end of yeah, the that'd game, be fun. You know? Well, so now here's the question: Are they like? Do we know? Are they going to be using the same theme music this time around that they used originally? Or oh, I don't know. I mean, either I way, know. it's you know, I can I, play the old I one sub- and it'd be a fitting tribute and the people who know it and recognize it will be excited about it of course i'm gonna guess they're gonna use the same opening theme at least because they've switched hosts before and they kept just changed the uh, the lyrics so oh, yeah I'm, I'm i'm assuming right. they're gonna do that again just for tradition's sake all right well wow, that's awesome cool yeah thank you My making pleasure. history here <laughs> <laughs>
All right, so I'll I'll wrap this up then. Okay. I think uh, I think I, I get all of my questions out, and uh, yeah, definitely appreciate you taking the time to to join us, Josh. And uh, yeah, it's re- really great to hear you know all the the time and the care, the the love that goes into your performance there at Fenway. Uh, it really comes through. I mean, even to the fact that people think it's pre-recorded, which you know, it's just a testament to how how well you play. Oh, thanks. I, I I really appreciate it. There's certainly, you know, for me and for the DJ and for the whole, you know, audio and video production department, there's a lot of care and thought, you know, behind the scenes that goes into making it look easier than it really is, I guess. But regardless, it's just a ton of fun. And I, I appreciate that recognition. All right, and that'll pretty much do it for this episode of Hitting Play. As always, you can email us with your comments, suggestions, your favorite songs, whatever you got for us at hittingplayshow at gmail.com, or you can talk to us on Twitter at Hitting Play. Now, uh, Josh, how can uh, people find some of your great work? Um, let's, uh, well, let's see. I have a, I have a YouTube channel. Uh, probably, I mean, I think if you just search for like Fenway Organ, a lot of the videos, uh, a lot of the audio recordings that are on there will come up. It's just sort of a sampling of some of the some of the you know songs that I have played there over the years, particularly the ones where I've been able to get permission from the from the songwriters to to post my versions, and then you know I'm I'm on Twitter at JT Cantor J T K A N T O R. That's where I talk about you know all the stuff I'm working on or or performing, whether it's baseball related or non baseball related. Very good, Kevin. You have anything you want to plug? Uh, sure, you can find me on Twitter. Uh at one wall cinema and if you're interested we have mystery science theater type uh comedy videos that my brother and i do uh you can find those at gumroad.com slash one wall cinema and if you use the uh coupon code hitting play uh it'll save you a little bit of uh off of each uh video very good sarah i do have twitter but i don't really use it i mean i like a bunch of baseball stuff that's about it okay uh, i'm on twitter as well my name there is at mc and friends you can follow me there I'm also on Instagram. Uh, my name there is MC underscore and underscore friends. There I do flip page animation, little drawings and things like that. Uh, if you listen to us on iTunes, please subscribe and leave us a five-star review. It helps us out. And if you do, you'll get a shout out on the show. Uh, for Android users, we are also available to stream in or download on Stitcher. We can be found on TuneIn Radio as well as the Google Play Music app. So you can check us out there. Well, we have been Josh Cantor, Sarah, Kevin, and Scott. This has been Hitting Play. Thank you so much for listening.